Uh, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. God, we thank you that you uh, bring us, God, here each week. And Lord, that we can expect a touch from you. Lord, we can expect to learn from your word, to hear your voice. And so, Lord, we just pray that right now, every single word that would proceed from my mouth, God, would be just ordained from the heavens. Lord, that your intentions, your word, your promises, God, would flow through, God, this time into our hearts. God, we give you our ambitions, our dreams, our passions. Lord, the things that are close and near to us. And Lord, we, we just proclaim that you have a plan and a purpose for them. So we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if uh, you were here last week, we started off, kicked off the new year talking about visions, dreams, and ambitions. And uh, we, we, we settled on the fact that when you are saved, when you're a Christian, that your mind looks at things differently. We looked at some of the, the neatest innovations right now that are changing the world from people who looked at things and saw opportunities, saw something deeper and bigger. We looked at the, uh, like the little dominoes, like keep it hot and ready while they come and deliver it to you. And, and they're transforming the way in which they're saving lives of infants in India. 400,000 infants die every year in India because they freeze to death. Isn't that a sad fact? And so they have this, this uh, you know, it's basically like this little vinyl wrap thing. Because someone saw the material different. Someone saw the problem different. A man also in India saw the, the tremendous amount of plastic waste that was in all the dumps and landfills. And so he invented a way in which you can make pavement out of plastic that's in the landfills. And it has a five-year longer time span on, on normal asphalt. And it's going to you know, revolutionize roads and things out there. We talked about all these different things. And so we focus on having the mind of Christ that we're going to see problems, opportunities in our life differently. Romans 12.2 says that we should not conform to the pattern of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that our eyes will see opportunities. And we talked about dreams. We talked about visions and ambitions. We talked about how God, when we ask God, God, would you give me, uh, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Would you give me a career? Would you give me a a spouse? Or all these different things. That Oftentimes that God is going to answer your prayer in the form of a seed. He's going to answer you, but it's going to be, in a manner in which you're going to have to steward what he's already given you to get that. We use the analogy, God, give me an oak tree. And we get an acorn. And, you know, you're like, what is an acorn going to do? You're like, I asked for a tree. But, but God's saying, if you plant the acorn, if you take care of the acorn, then you're going to get your oak tree. And we looked at Nehemiah. We, we studied the story. We're going to talk a little bit about Nehemiah tonight. But he had a vision to rebuild the, the temple of Jerusalem and the, the temple wall. And Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer, which means that he was the guy who would take the sip of wine before he gives it to the king. And he had heard that the temple had been destroyed, that the wall was nothing. And so his heart was so burdened that he should go back and he should go and try and rebuild the temple wall. And we talked about how he is the least likely person in the world to go do that job. And we looked at his prayer and like how he prayed to God and he asked for favor from God. Give me favor with the king. And we kind of joke because Nehemiah, I mean, when you're close to the king, you're also close to the queen. And I don't know this, but all uh, cupbearers are eunuchs, meaning that, you know, like it's all, you know, no more. You know, you're like, he literally doesn't have the balls to go rebuild the wall. I mean, that's, it's, you know, it's okay. So we, we kind of had some fun with that. And we looked about how maybe there's circumstances in our life. We have dreams and visions and ambitions, which we feel totally unqualified for. And so we just settled on, God, give us the acorn. Let us to see the potential of the acorn. So that's what we covered 
last week, and we have a couple CDs that I think are in the back, and, and they're just free. They're of last week's message, so you can pick it up if you missed. You want to get back into it and find out where um, we came from here tonight. And so tonight, I'm going to pick up from the seed stage. We have our acorn. We have what we have been given from God. We want to look at it with potential that our lives, we are living acorns for God's plan and blueprint for our life. And we look at that and we say, okay, what is the process? If I'm an acorn, or if this idea is an acorn, what is the process now? We're going to talk about that. The first was first knowing that you even had an acorn in the first place. That was the first component. But the scripture gives us a little bit of a, a neat example for what it talks about having the seed stage. And it says about having uh, the ability for your seed to take root. And tonight we're going to talk about the roots of your seed is joy. And then next that we need to steward that process, which means that we need to protect that. So tonight we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about the hope of that seed. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to protect it and to steward that. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to bounce around. We're going to bounce to... Mark, we'll do 2 Corinthians, and then we'll briefly jump to Nehemiah. So first we're going to go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Actually, we'll start at uh, verse 14 here. The, the farmer sows the word. Actually, let's start at verse 13. This will make a little more sense. Sorry. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. This is speaking about a seed. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Everyone say joy. joy. But since they have no root, everyone say root, they last only a short time. Could it be that we look at, at people who have ideas and dreams and visions and it lasts for a little bit of time and then it just kind of goes away, right? I mean, I, I start startups for a living. I can't tell you out of all of the, the products we, we work with, we've, I've probably been a part of about 200 different startups only a fraction of them actually uh, have the gumption within the entrepreneur to keep it going. People get discouraged. After a short amount of time, it loses hope. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, make it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or 700 times what it was sown. So first we, we look at here and, and we, we talk about a seed. I think that the, the context is talking about our salvation. The context is that when we encounter living God and we give our life to God, that he has planted a seed in us. And how I'm connecting this is that I believe that the desires of your heart, the ambitions, your giftedness, they are seeds in waiting in your life. The ambitions, the dreams in your life, they're seeds in waiting. And so if, if God has ordained those, surely anything that God ordains, the enemy is going to be trying to destroy. Anything that, that God puts forward, the enemy has a plan to take away. The seeds of our life, I think, are what fulfill God's calling in us. God gives us opportunities to walk in faithfulness that he would show up. And so 
God wants us to steward that. And since the seed of salvation was talking about joy taking root, when that goes away, the enemy wins. If, if our acorn, if our idea, if our dreams, if our life does not start to birth joy, if we don't begin to produce hope and joy out of our current circumstances, then we are completely susceptible to have the enemy come pick us off. You can take any seed. If it does not germinate, if it does not put something down and strengthen it, it is hopeless. I would argue tonight that joy could be the single greatest thing of your life that is missing from what you want to have. And we'll talk about how, how strategic that the joy of our circumstances is for your life. John Piper said, Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and he has an insatiable appetite to destroy one thing, the joy of faith. The joy of faith. This is John Piper, one of the greatest world theologians, and he says, the one thing the enemy has an appetite for is to steal the joy from your life. Now, why is that? If Satan can succeed in destroying hope and joy in you, he will succeed in robbing you of your dreams of your life, and you'll become ineffective if you don't have roots. The, the entire enemy's plan is to rob our entire generation of joy and hope. If he can single-handedly do that in your life, you've been rendered ineffective for God's plan. It makes total sense. That's why we have discouragement. That's why we have opposition. We'll look at Nehemiah tonight, and it's every single time Nehemiah made a, a, a plan forward. There was opposition. The moment you step forward into your plans, into your dreams, there's going to be opposition. Sometimes it's just it's the, the, the swimming upstream, and other times it's a strategic play by the enemy to try and rob you of that joy. You show me someone who does not have hope or joy, I'll show you someone who lives a miserable existence. I know him. I have family members, extended family. I, I, I can give you no end to people who I look and I just, my heart breaks. And I look at their circumstance and I look at how they're reacting. And they don't want anything to do with joy. Have you ever felt that? Like you're having a rough day, someone comes around and they're all happy and you're like, just get away, you know? And like before I, you know, bring out this bad, you know. The joy that God first gave us in the moment of our salvation, there's a psalm that says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's strategic for us to let our roots grow down. I saw a Facebook posting that says that the person who has the most hope in the room has the most influence. The person who has the most hope in the room has the most influence. Strategically, again, the enemy is attempting to rob each one of us tonight of our joy. We come with all these great expectations of the new year. We have aspirations. You know, like I went to the gym like a week and a half ago. I don't go that often, trust me. But like this particular day was like crammed. And it's like, you know, everyone after the new year's comes and I was you know, talking to somebody else like, yeah, just wait three weeks, everyone will be gone. You know, not that, right? That everyone like after 2011 gets super stoked on their, their ambitions and then, like, you give it, like, three weeks, maybe even three days. I don't know. But then it's, like, totally gone. Now, I can understand that, like, maybe you, you want to work out or maybe you don't want to eat as much Taco Bell or, you know, get bacon out of your diet or those, you know, what, whatever. But when it comes to the ambitions that God has placed in our heart, we need to have a protection about that. We need to know that the, the hope that God is going to stir in us is instrumental for us to grow in our relationship with God. One of the, the points last week about that acorn is that we need to know there's a divine connection between that idea, that dream, that passion, that ambition, your potential, and your relationship with God. 
Can I liberate anybody in here who feels that they need to choose between God and their dreams? Can I tell you that, that when, you, when you think, and maybe you're like, like me, that I used to think that, okay, if I'm really close to God, I'll become a missionary and I'll have to go out to some other country. Can I liberate you from, from, from that, that God wants to use you where you're at? Maybe he'll call some people, but maybe he's calling you right here. Maybe he's calling you to Sacramento. Who, who knows? If, if your passion is for singing, if your passion is for business or biology or, you know, you name it, I fully believe that God has a fruition, a, a huge uh, oak tree from that acorn that he's planted in you. The question is, are you going to give that acorn the joy of knowing that God has a perspective for that? Are you going to look at the eternal significance of that idea and say, yes, God, you're in this. I see the potential. Would you move? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You think if, if we're encountering an enemy, you encounter opposition, you need strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible, the Bible makes a really big deal about joy. Paul's single letter to the Philippians, count it out. If you read it, like I encourage you, underline every single time he says joy or rejoice. He mentions it 16 times in one letter to somebody. Wouldn't you be like, if you were getting this letter, you're like, I get it, you know? It's like 16 times, really? Like, how many of us, like, you know, we get irritated when someone reminds us of something? You know, if I have to be reminded about something, like, more than once or twice, like, I kind of get really annoyed, even if I'm totally blowing it. I just don't like to be reminded that often of things. And here Paul's talking about, you know, rejoice, 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 have joy. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, this again is Paul. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And so, I, you know, being the, the big, you know, Bible interest guy that I mean, like, I was like, I'm going to look up the Greek on this. I'm going to find the hidden meaning. And I cannot believe what I found when I looked this up. Are you guys ready for this? This is crazy. Rejoice always means always rejoice. You know, it's like, okay, I get it. You know, th- that sometimes you find something really cool, and then other times it's like, oh, it just means what it says. You know, it's very plain. Well, like, we see that, God, what do you mean about this? It's like, well, when I say rejoice always, I, I kind of mean always rejoice. Now, why did Paul, why did Paul make such a big deal more than any other apostle about joy? Why was that? Maybe you would say that your circumstances, your life, will give me joy. How many, oh, actually not how many, because I'm afraid to see the hands. Um, Secretly, in your heart, you're like, God, just give me a spouse, and I'll be totally happy. Just give me that wife. Just give me that husband. Just give me, you know, whatever that is. You're like, and that'll fix everything, you know? And we might be like jealous or we might be angry or we might be bitter because our circumstances don't deserve joy. Do you have that that feeling that my circumstances don't deserve a joy reaction? My circumstances right now do not warrant any hope, none whatsoever. Man, can I get an amen to that? I'm feeling that. Do your circumstances, do you have an attitude that my circumstances don't warrant my joy. Don't warrant peace. Turn to Second Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11. 
getting lit up. <laughs> Someone's watching online, they're saying hello. Hi. Sometimes it's embarrassing because I'll go home. And um, so I, I don't talk a whole lot about my family about, you know, this. And um, so one week we had this, uh, we talked two weeks about sex, me and my wife. And just like set the record straight on sex. We'll probably do it again sometime. And I, I got no shame. It's like, here it is, you know, like here are the lies that people are believing, you know. And so it was funny because like the next like, you know, two days later, like I get a call from mom. She's like, yeah, so I, you know, I... I tuned into that like live thing you guys do and wow, it was really interesting. And I was like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have, you know. Um, it's fun. I, I, love, I love that we broadcast live, but just not when your family's watching. All right, 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to do verses 23 through 27. This is Paul. Do your circumstances warrant hope? Check this out. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. So we're dropping in a conversation where Paul is, is exhorting individuals who are writing back and saying, my circumstances are X, Y, Z, or we have these apostles. And so he's responding. And so he's, he's going to do a little boasting about his life. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes minus one. Why was it 40 lashes minus one? Because they, the 40th lash is what killed you. So they don't want to, you know, kill you. They just want to beat you to an inch of your life. Sounds glorious. Forty times minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I don't know how you survived that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false brothers, and lions and tigers and bears. We get it. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Talk about a heavy response. Do your circumstances warrant your joy? And here, Paul, the same guy, over and over and over again, he's telling us to rejoice. If you feel sorry for your life, can I encourage you to go get a plane ticket and go to South Africa? Or we'll go to El Salvador. Come on down. We're full, but if you want to get a plane ticket, We'll find a way. I don't, I don't know. But if you're feeling sorry for your life, sorry, Wally, wherever you are. I'm not trying to commit more people to the trip. Uh, but I kind of am. Um, if you feel sorry for your life, can I encourage you guys? And I'll give you the, the family we stay with. Go book a ticket and go somewhere like El Salvador. Your life will be completely changed. I once went on a missions trip, and we went to this dump, and there's all these children that they got their food from a dump. And we're out there, and so, you know, we have, like, these buckets and these pails. You open up, it's peanut butter. And we, we bring, like, some spoiled milk. And we're like, what is this for? Is this to dump? Like, no, this is the meal that we're going to feed these children. Milk and a, a one spoon of peanut butter. Why peanut butter? Because it has the most nutrients and fat for the size that we can give them. It's the cheapest for us to buy. Crazy. 
I really believe that joy is the fundamental ingredient to having the life that you want. Do you want to get married? I'm, I'm not kidding about this. If you want to get married, if you're like secretly in your heart, like, I just want to be married. If you want to be married, I, I tell you the, the most attractive ingredient, and, and ladies back me up here, because I'll talk to the men for a second, is to have joy. To be like, how, I mean, how many people have you ever met that are just so run? It's like the, the sad trombone comes out when you talk to them. So how are you? I'm terrible. You know, they're just like a total drag to be around. And yes, I did that with my mouth. I'm very good at that because I have some people in my life that are total Debbie Downers. And it's like, wah, wah, you know. Um, I once made a ringtone, uh, a buddy of mine's, because he was always such a downer. And so, like, whenever he comes, like, you know, you pick it up. I'm telling you, and, and ladies, too, if you are joyful, if you have the joy of the Lord in you, you will be so much more attractive. Trust me, it's not about the hair, about the lipstick, the makeup, all that other stuff. But maybe a lot of us, maybe like our joy or our mentality, maybe when it comes to like dating and relationships and marriage, you know, you meet somebody and, and you like pull out a sheet of paper, like here's the top 10 reasons that you should dump me. You know, it's like that doesn't make people like want to be in a relationship with you a whole lot. But you turn, and maybe some of you guys have done that, I don't know. Um, I, I think that we choose to be miserable in those circumstances. You don't have to be miserable. Please. And Paul talks about the circumstances. It's not like, you know, there's a choice. Like, you get to choose to have the joy. Again, the joy is going to be the roots to your dreams. Your circumstances don't influence your hope or your joy. Not at all. But your joy and your hope will influence your circumstances. Have you ever had, like, a, a, a bummer day or something bad go wrong and your response totally makes it worse? Have you ever done that? Like, you're already having a bad time, and so, you know, you just respond, and uh, it gets way worse. I have a friend who got pulled over for a ticket. His dad had a crazy accident, and he was racing. He was speeding up there. And so he was, like, you know, all, like, just wrecked about it. And so the cop is like, oh, man, you know. And so he's like, well, you know, you were speeding here, but I can, you know, I'll just write in that you're going to lower speed so the final will be less, you know. And so he, he didn't really appreciate that. And so, like, he takes a ticket, and he's like, yeah, thanks a lot. And the cop reaches back in, grabs it, and gives him the real speed, which is like another $300 more. And he's like, here you go. Like, not, like, that would just drive me up the wall, you know? Had you totally blown it, you had an opportunity to respond, and you totally blew it by your reaction. Can I get an amen about that? We need to look at our circumstances and say, okay, yeah, this is kind of a bummer, but I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to respond with joy and to be glad in this. I'm going to choose to say yes, Lord, in this because I know that you'll use my attitude for my circumstances. I have two of my, or my favorite TV commercial ever we're going to play here right now, and we'll follow it up with another one. Um, who says it? Who has a favorite TV commercial? I know that just sounded weird, but I, like, I really love this one. It took me forever to find if we have the video, maybe we can play. This is a Washington Mutual commercial from, I think, like eight years ago. Um, and this is Paul. And so think about your circumstances. Think about, like, your mentality, your attitude. How are you going to respond? And take a look at a, a kind of a fun way um, that they had with this commercial. All irritable. Then he went to Washington Mutual. Thanks to their flexible lending rules, Paul got a quick approval. Now he's always in a great mood. Hey! 
Oops, my bad. No problem. Ah, I guess I'm having tea. Congratulations on your new home, Paul. Glad we could make your day. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you got me. Isn't that great? And we got one more, if we, if we can pull up the other one. This is great. There's a whole bunch of these. If you just go on, on... Then he went to Washington Mutual. They write their own approval rules and gave him a quick thumbs up. Now Roy fears nothing. Take the whole crack. <laughs> Sometimes we wish we'd left a little bit of fear in Roy. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love like, the first part. Is like, you know, the guy's reading his paper. It's like some little girl's balloon, you know, and he takes his pen and just bursts the balloon. And he's like, "Isn't that you?" Like. Maybe you've had a sour day, and someone comes along, and you just take your pen, and you just burst their balloon. That's okay. We can laugh about it, and we can say, okay, yeah, you know, I had a couple bad days, but now that I know that the seeds of God's plans and purposes in my life are, are seeded in me, and the best way to steward the fulfillment of that is to let it have roots, and the roots of that is my joy, maybe now we'll have a different perspective. I have a lot of crazy things going on in my life right now. And I, I can't even tell you all the things that are in limbo, transition, difficulties, thing. I mean, I live a kind of a little bit of a, a stressful, crazy life. I mean, I can tell you that though the circumstances have been less cool than they've ever been in my life right now, that I have more joy and more peace about my life. That's a really funny thing. I just feel like I'm not going to do, like worrying about it is not going to do anything. I might as well have fun about it. You know, when, when things happen, I just, I try and respond. It's like, how I respond right now will set the rest of my attitude. When something bad happens, if you take that split moment and you choose, I'm going to respond right now with a funny joke, or I'm going to poke fun at it, you know, whatever. Like, if, if that moment when the offense comes, if you're able to respond to it with, with perspective, I believe that God will alter your course the rest of that. Dwight Hill says, Ultimate freedom is the ability to choose the right attitude. Ultimate freedom is the ability to choose the right attitude. Not freeing. The ultimate freedom is that we get a, a choice in how we respond. Now that we have looked at scripturally how our joy takes root and holds us, let's look at how to protect it. Open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to end here in this little place. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Nehemiah is OT after Ezra and after Second Chronicles. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Here we go. But when Sambalot and Tobiah, or Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. I encourage all you guys to pick up and read the story of Nehemiah. We're going to pick up little pieces here, but I encourage you to read it start to finish. These two guys, at any juncture in which Nehemiah had any progress, these two guys show up and start shaking their head and start causing issues. 
They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we, this is Nehemiah, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. When opposition comes against you, when discouragement comes upon your life and your circumstances, post a guard. What are the ways in which you can pull yourself out of that crummy circumstance? What is it for you? It's really important for you to know your own defenses. If we know that joy is strategic in the enemy to steal it from you, you better think about tonight how to protect yourself from your joy to be stolen. What are the guards in your life? What are, what, Nehemiah says, I posted guards to watch day and night so this would not be stolen from us. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. This is the people building the wall. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Isn't this like the Debbie Downer coming like, you know, like they're saying the rubble is crazy. We'll never do this. Every place we turn, they are there. When we turn our backs, they're going to come and plot against us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He said, we went and found all the low places in the wall. We, we went and found the vulnerabilities, and we put people there. And he says, for those around you, even if you're not being attacked, go and fight on behalf of your brothers. I believe scripturally in a community, when we see people who are, are troubled and who are in despair, we have an exhortation within us to go and help bring them and fight on their behalf. We have friends and their life is completely in shambles, it's the greatest time for God to do some great healing. Amen? We've lived a, a, around some neighbors. And we wrestled because we wondered sometime if we were really evangelizing to them enough. And always said, we're just going to love them. We're going to be who we are. We're never going to compromise. And we're just going to love them to death. And sooner or later, someone's life is going to intersect with some drama with some difficulty. And when that comes, if you have shown a consistency to love, they will ask you, tell me how you're different. We've had all of our neighbors get saved from that exact circumstance. It's amazing. When we see our brother and sister fallen, it is upon us to fight on their behalf. Can I give you a perspective that we have a responsibility to fight on behalf of the hearts of our brothers and sisters? Isn't that a cool thought? I don't know about you, like, I'm like, fight on the behalf of, you know, like, it feels like a, a Braveheart, you know, quote. It might be, I don't know. Fight on the, on the behalf of your brothers and sisters. After I looked things over, oops, we got that. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. This is key. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. 
And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other during along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Talk about a visionary man. Talk about someone who, who petitions the community to fight on behalf of his brother and sister who says that surely if God is with us, there's going to be opposition. And when there's opposition with us, that we come ready. We come ready to protect the hope of our people. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah is so awesome this way. And it wasn't just like, you know, well, surely God, you either want us to fight or you want us to do our dreams. He said, carry a spear in one hand and do your work with the other. There's nowhere that I believe in the Bible that tells us that we need to choose between, okay, only go forward when things get hard. Clearly, Nehemiah here is saying that when things go, get hard, bring a spear. Get ready to do battle. And it's better to protect your joy and your hope and to be a little bit less uh, productive with it than to let yourself be overtaken. You get that? It is better for you to fight and to be less productive with your dream, ambition, and goal rather than to do nothing. Because if you do nothing, I'm telling you, it's just as a matter of time and you'll give up and that joy is gone. I cannot tell you how many people that I encounter that want to go to a particular college, want to go get a degree, want to do these different things. And they cannot bring themselves to just download the application. It's like, oh, they changed the date. You know, it's like, really? Come on, like... Like, I once, like, filled out a friend's application for college for him. And I practically, like, took his hand and, like, signed his signatures. Like, it's really not that hard. There seems to be, in our cult, in our generation, an unwillingness against any resistance. When there becomes a little resistance, because I tell you, any dream worthwhile, any adventure with God worthwhile will instantly have resistance. You need to break in your mind anywhere that says that if God is with me, everything will be this yellow brick road. The greatest challenges I've ever had have been on the pursuits of God's greatest promises. Can I, can I free you from, the, from the, the scoreboard theology that says if bad things are happening, God isn't here? Because it's going to be hard. Anything that's worth fighting for is going to have a battle. I want us to fight for our joy. I want us to fight for our hope. And I close with this. We talk about having roots. We talk about protecting. We talk about fighting. Maybe there's some of you in here, instead of fighting and protecting and doing nothing, maybe you just gave your joy away. Maybe you look at the circumstances and you voluntarily surrendered it. You didn't even put up a fight. I know that all too well. I know that in the, the, the challenges of our circumstances, sometimes it's just easier just to throw it all away. And say, because I've lost a little bit, I might as well give it all away. Around you, I want every head to bow, every eye closed. I want to have the band to come up. And I want to challenge you tonight. And I, I know this is all over the room. I know so many people personally now that are just running on empty. They have no joy. And because they have no joy, they have no hope, 
their dreams seem to be so far away from them. For those who say, I don't even have any dreams. I don't even have any ambitions or any vision for my life. And I, I believe it's because you have no joy and hope. You've had that robbed from you, and I fear that you've willingly sold it. I believe those who have surrendered their joy and their hope have willingly sold themselves into bondage to the enemy. That the enemy, as long as he can keep your circumstances down, that he will keep your potential down. And I want to encourage all in this place right now who feel that they have let their joy be taken from them, who've let their hope be robbed from them, or anybody who has willingly sacrificed it, laid it down, checked it in, handed it in early, I want you to do a really bold thing. Is I, I want you to stand. I want you to stand right now. If you have the first time right now that you feel that you need to fight for joy, there's no embarrassment. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything. I just want you to stand right now. If you feel there's been no circumstances, if you are so discouraged by your current circumstance and you don't feel that God is near. You don't feel that God deserves your joy. I want you to stand. And I want those around these individuals, I want you to stand. Everyone stand and put a hand next to them. And what I want us to do is I want you to pray for them. Contend for the heart of your community. Contend for the heart and the hope that is in them that God has bestowed We believe that we're a community of transformation. And so at this moment, I want you to just pray with them. It doesn't have to be long or anything extravagant. Just pray, God, release hope. God, give them joy. Give them peace. Would you do that now? Lord, you give peace. Lord, would you bestow favor, God? Thank you, Lord. you want to keep praying, continue to pray. I want to encourage those who are receiving prayer that today is a day in which you've been surrounded by people that are interceding, fighting on behalf of your heart. That God has positioned people in this room right now to give you a word of encouragement. Maybe they have a word from the Lord. Maybe there's a confirmation. Maybe you came in broken and they have a peace that God would give to them to give you wholeness tonight. And as we worship, we just want to be free that God no matter our circumstances, no matter what we have, God, that you would restore your joy to your people. 
God, that you give us an ability to fight on behalf of these hearts. Lord, each one of us will come in and out of a season, so we just pray, Lord, as we lift these individuals up, God, that they would be strengthened to lift their brother up because it might be us tomorrow, Lord. So we just thank you for that. We worship you now, Lord.